after thinking about it for a while, I'm thinking that cancel culture kind of has a much richer history and heritage to it. I think it kind of goes back to political correctness, which in modern history, political correctness goes back to the Bolshevik Revolution, communism in Russia, and probably elsewhere. I believe China is very much into political correctness. The communist Chinese are, that is. But then again, the communist Chinese kind of came from Russian communism, I want to say as well. I did look up some of the history on political correctness. I see some information in the Encyclopedia Britannica, and I can read the definition real quick. It just says, political correctness, the term first appeared in Marxist-Leninist vocabulary following the Russian Revolution of 1917. At that time, it was used to describe adherence to the policies and principles of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. So it goes on and on and on. But pretty much, yeah, just political correctness is saying what controlling body approves, I guess, pretty much. And when it comes to cancel culture, I feel like it's very similar. We see a resurgence of communism <laughs> and socialist ideology, you know, across the world. And a lot of people saying that you must speak in line with these extremist ways of thinking, if you will. So, yeah, to me, cancel culture, it is a form of political correctness, and it seems to be a tool used to control people, how they think and how they speak. Thank you for tuning in to the Removing Barriers podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm MCG. And we're attempting to remove barriers so we can all have a clear view of the cross. This is episode 44 of the Removing Barriers podcast. And in this episode, we will continue our discussion about cancel culture and free speech. And we have Sam joining us in this episode. Sam, welcome back to the Removing Barriers podcast. And thank you for joining us once again. MCG. Jay, it's good to be with you. Nice to have you, Sam. All right, let's get into it. So tell me, should speech be censored, Sam? Uh, well, so, wow, that's a big question in my mind, you know. So obviously there are things, and just looking at what you just read, we need to control our tongue, right? And so I do think that we're in the best position when we know how to control ourselves. So when we know there might be something that needs to be said or there might be things that ought not be said, it's best when we know how to do that ourselves. Should we go as far as to have the government decide when you can and can't say something? I don't like that idea for all the reasons that we mentioned earlier. Whose standard is the government going to be pushing? You know, And then do we really want somebody or some bodies with that much power telling us what we can and cannot do, that could ultimately, you know, there's a conflict of interest there because if the government can shut us up, then they can control our lives. You know, we're supposed to be the ones in charge, the ones who are supposed to choose our officials and thereby choose our policy. And if we can't speak freely, then there goes our ability to choose our politicians to our own liking, you know. So I don't really like the idea of the government interfering in freedom of speech. But I do think that at a personal level, everybody should practice restraint from time to time. Sometimes it's good to say something, sometimes it's not. And I guess by what standard would you go by? Ultimately, our society was designed for, like you mentioned earlier, a moral people. 
And this is coming from the founding fathers who were raised in a Christian culture. So when they say a moral people, I'm assuming that they're talking about Christian standards. So I think that we should censor, but it should be, (laughs) this sounds kind of communistic, self-censoring, but self-censoring according to the standards of the Bible. Right. But again, this shouldn't be compelled by the government. It should be each man and his relationship with God that drives that. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that, Sam. But I will say absolutely not. Speech should not be censored. Look, I will fight for the man to say whatever he wants to say, whether or not I agree with him or not. I think that the government should not come in and try to determine what people have to say and don't say. I think that is very dangerous. I think folks should be able to say whatever they wish and counter negative speech with positive speech. Not by canceling it, in my opinion, but also we do live in a civilized society. And, you know, going out there and just saying what's everything on your mind is rude, it's uncouth, it's not kind. So, as he says, Sam, definitely show some self control. Again, season your conversation with grace. You don't have to be crude in your speech to stand firm. And so, while I will say definitely not, do not censure speech. Because quite honestly, if they start censoring speech, they're going to start censoring biblical speech first. So definitely don't censor speech, but give people the ability to say whatever they want to say. I think that's what the founding fathers had in mind. But also realize we live in a civilized society. You don't have to say whatever is on your mind. There's something called maturity. Yeah, you know, I kind of feel like we're in kind of like, wow, I don't know if it's a catch-22 is the right phrase here. We're in a funny situation where if people are not moral and they don't take into consideration things like the golden rule, which ultimately comes from biblical thinking, treating people as you yourself would like to be treated, you know, if we get away from that, then I feel like we become unruly and we can be too dangerous. And when that happens, I feel like a totalitarian government or an authoritarian government, rather, starts to become more and more necessary as men become more wild because they're leaving the restraint of godly living, right? And so I guess as we become less Christian, we need more authoritarianism, and I think we need more controls on our speech. (laughs) Oddly enough, I don't like it, right? Because if we have more controls in our speech, then that also takes us even faster towards authoritarianism, in my mind, is not a preferred way of governing. But if we lean more towards God and restrain ourselves according to his word, you know, and behave according to his will, then the need for a strong king type figure and for people to tell us what we can and can't do, that need starts to go away. I think of some real life examples, like my parents, they go to, oh boy, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but they would go to church. They still do go to church in Atlanta, Georgia. And he was talking about how he grew up, by the way, in Egypt, a predominantly Muslim country. There are some Coptic Christians there too. But in Egypt, a lot of folks are Muslim. Islam is a type of religion, but he says, this is what he said, that they didn't restrain themselves, the Muslims that he knew in Egypt, they didn't restrain themselves 
thinking about what God would or wouldn't want them to do, or in their case, I guess it would be their deity, Allah, right? They didn't restrain themselves based off of what many of them didn't, what they thought Allah wanted them to do or not to do. They would only restrain themselves for the fear of other men, if you will. So in Egypt, you would have, in times past, you had the king, right? And if the king was going to be mad and you thought that he was going to come down on you for something, you wouldn't do it, you know? That fear would restrain you. So society was held together based off of that fear, the fear of the government hitting you if you do something wrong. But what that he liked about Western society was that at least when he was introduced to it, I think it's changed quite a bit since then. I think he's in his mid-70s now. But he left Egypt and he moved to Australia and then later on he moved to America, which is where he is now. One of the things he liked about Western society, he said, was that Western society was really heavily influenced by Christianity and a lot of people did or didn't do things because they thought it was the right thing to do. You know, they would do things because they thought it was the right thing to do or they wouldn't do it because they thought it was wrong to do. And they didn't want to displease God. That was a big motivating factor, you know. And so that was more of a self-control based off of a relationship with God, sometimes stronger, sometimes weaker. But that relationship with God is what kept things under control as opposed to just the fear of man, you know. And I feel like we are having some of the problems that we're having because a lot of us don't fear God anymore. And so we've gone crazy, right? And I think everybody's starting to recognize that, even people in the far left. And I think some of them are thinking that, okay, I think cancel culture is a tool used to promote communism and stuff like that. But I think that it's so successful because even those who wouldn't be so keen on communism recognize that we're out of control and we need some kind of control. But the control should come from God. It shouldn't come, you know, from authoritarianism and from these arbitrary standards that seem to go to and fro with the flavor of the day, you know? Yeah, definitely. So do you think that cancel culture is actually a weapon of the political left? Yeah. Well, certainly the uh, form of cancel culture that harkens back to political correctness. Yes. As we saw, political correctness got started with the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, and it was used heavily to promote communism. And we see the same thing happening today. You know, in America, we have socialism, which honestly, the socialism of today is communism, or it's very heavily bent towards communism. We see that being promoted at the same time and by the same organizations that are heavily pushing for cancel culture. So I think that we're repeating history here, you know, but instead of communism being in Russia, it's popping up here in America, like they promised, by the way. Because when we were dealing with the Russians, I want to say this was at the very beginning of the Cold War with Stalin, right, towards the end of Stalin's reign. And they would repeat this over and over again. So even after Stalin, I want to say they would repeat this. They said that communism, this is the Russians, the Russian communists are saying that communism is going to pop up in America and they're going to hang the capitalists with the ropes that we created ourselves, right? So they were going to find a way to come in here, infiltrate our society, and to turn us into communists with the tools that we had built. That's what they promised. And they promised that over 50 years ago, you know? Hmm. And so, well, actually, <laughs> I say over 50 years ago, Mao, it may be over 70 years ago now, now I think about it. 
I lose track of this because some of these things I've thought about since I was a child. <laughs> and so I guess 20 years have expired in that time, hmm. if not more. But anyway, they were saying that they were going to hang us with the rope that we created. And I kind of see that with we've created these communications platforms like Twitter and Facebook. We've come up with search engines like Google. These are all American and they're built as tools built by capitalistic society. And it's funny to me because some people, when we're abused or when we see abuse from these tools, Twitter, they're censoring people, but at the same time wanting to receive certain protections from Congress, saying that they're a public forum, you know, but then they're editorializing people's speech, you know, so they're kind of going back and forth as to whether they're a public property or private property. Anyway, whenever we try to hit back at them and say, hey, look, you can't do this. You can't censor people. They'll come back and say, oh, but we can because that's part of capitalism, you know, and conservatives believe in capitalism, don't you? That's one of their common refrains. And to me, it's very interesting because those are the weapons that are being used to hit us. You know, the funniest thing is, even though many conservatives are like, oh, yeah, that's right. Well, we don't want to go against capitalism. What's interesting to me is some people are starting to suspect that what's going on is not so capitalistic after all. So like the argument is that Facebook is a private company. They're canceling certain people's speech because private company has the right to determine what's on their private property, on their private website, and so on. Well, one of the problems, I mentioned one problem already. One of those problems is that they did declare themselves to be a public forum. Another problem is that it looks like, and it seems like we have transcripts that are popping up now. Judicial Watch is one organization that has found such transcripts. Government organizations have contacted Facebook and Twitter and very strongly suggested that certain posts should be taken down. And it's not even like these posts are saying, I'm going to hurt somebody or something like that, right? But these posts may have something that finds some corruption with a government official or alleged corruption with government officials or may allege certain corruption even when it comes to the COVID response. And the government officials would call up. In one occasion, I want to say it was some local government officials from Iowa. They didn't like a post that was made about some of what they've been up to. And so they called up Facebook and said, hey, we don't like this. You should take it down. Facebook immediately said, oh, we'll look into it. We'll take care of it for you, right? They did the same thing. Those same government officials found similar material on Twitter. They called them up and the Twitter people said, no, it doesn't violate any of our rules or guidelines. Ultimately, long story short, Facebook would censor immediately based off of the story that I heard from Judicial Watch and from a few other sources. Facebook censored immediately, but Twitter was a lot more hesitant, and in one of the key cases that they discussed, Twitter actually, good for them, they refused to censor because they didn't have any grounds to based off of their own rules that they had set ahead of time. Now, obviously, Twitter has since changed their rules, and they are censoring a lot more now. But I guess my question is, going back to what you're talking about, with is cancel culture a tool? I would argue, yes, it's a tool. The Communist parties from Russia and also from China have been threatening to use this tool on us for over 50 years, probably closer to 70 years. 
and they said they were going to attack us using our own capitalistic tools, and that's what they're doing. They're using tools that appear to be capitalistic, and they're attacking us with cancel culture, which is their modus operandi, as we can see from the original communist revolutions that happened in their countries over 70 years ago. Do you have anything to add to that, Jay? The left is more adept at wielding cancel culture as a weapon than the right is. Definitely. And it's because, as we've been saying throughout this particular episode, throughout this podcast, it's a difference in values. I'm not saying that we're somehow more important or anything like that, but typically people on the right have very different values compared to some people. I don't even want to say on the left. I want to say who are leftist, far left. In listening to Sam speak about who's canceling and how, that leads me to ask, then where does the power to cancel lie? Who has the power to cancel? And it sounds to me like these big companies, these big tech companies have the power to cancel. They can de-platform you and all of that. The government has the power to cancel, although it seems to me that big tech has more power than the government to cancel someone right now. And the mob has the power to cancel, obviously. If you get enough angry, uninformed people together, they can create enough of a nuisance to make people do whatever it is they want them to do. They can create enough of an inconvenience to make some entity do what they would have them do, which would also harken back to the question about whether or not it's a weapon being wielded by the left. Right. They can if the politician decide to tie the hands of police officers and they can't do anything to break up the crowd, the illegal gathering mob, but who has the power to cancel? You got it right. The big tech. We saw earlier this year that a certain president was actually banned for life from Twitter and from Facebook and from wherever else other platform he was on. So that to me was shocking that a certain president of the United States of America was actually banned. But he's a double standard still, though, because they have that power to ban the president of the United States. But there are so many other world powers that are still on Twitter that regardless of what you think of Donald Trump, I don't think he's anywhere close to some of these figures. But Twitter is not kicking him off. But definitely, big tech has the most power. How many websites are run on Amazon Web Services? It's probably half of the Internet. So, you know, they have a lot of power. That's why Parler was canceled by Amazon and they were canceled by Apple and they were canceled by Google and they were gone. Three companies, $3 billion work companies decide to kick them off. Even our podcast, you know, you just take one or two companies to say, hey, get rid of that and we're gone. We're off the internet because we use the platforms of some of these same big techs that we're talking about. You know, we use Anchor to host our podcast, but Anchor is owned by Spotify. So, you know, all of us use these big techs and all of us can be canceled by them easily. The problem is the centralization of these things, you know, with the advancement of cloud computing and all these things. No one today is hosting their own web server and all these things like before. Companies no longer need to have these big server rooms and hire 10 IT guys to maintain it and make sure it doesn't go down. You just put it on Amazon Web Service or Microsoft Azure or IBM Cloud or Google Cloud and you're on the internet, you're good to go. But when these companies say, hey, we don't want to be here anymore and we don't like what you're doing, then what's the alternative? 
you can decide to go back and get your own servers and pull up your own stuff or whatever the case may be. But there's always going to be a point where you're going to have to rely on something because quite honestly, there's only so much IP providers out there. You know, you can think about Verizon and Cogent, which is have like the backbone of the internet. But you're going to have to get on the internet. So there's going to be some company, some large company, some place that can pull the plug on you, especially if you're going to talk about being on the internet. So, so then what's the answer then? If this were the government doing this, this would be simple because there are laws in place, the constitution is in place, at least we have somewhere to start fighting. But these are private companies doing this. And it seems like, which is very true in a capitalistic society, you either like it and use it, or you swallow hard and use it even though you don't like it, or you decide to take your business elsewhere. The problem in this particular situation is that it's a monopoly and there is nowhere else to go. Well, it come back to this, and I think it was one of the Supreme Court justices that gave a speech or a dissent recently, and he made a suggestion on how we should be viewing Twitter and Facebook and all these platforms and even IP providers. He said it should make it basically be utilities. They should be treated like utilities. Because the utility company don't come and cut my power because they don't like the fact that I'm watching something that they don't like. Mm -hmm. Their utility company will come and say, oh, I don't like what you do with the electric power that you're buying from me, so therefore I'm going to take it off. So I do agree with him on that front. These things should be considered utilities. Internet, Facebook, Twitter, and all these platforms that people use, they should be considered utilities that... The companies have zero liability for what is being said on the platform. The company has zero liability to act and remove stuff on the platform. That might open the floodgate for all kind of nonsense because, you know, just go to Reddit. It's a cesspool. So that might open the floodgate. But I do agree with him on the basic form that we should probably be considering these things as being utilities. But they're kind of in the middle, kind of saying... We don't censor, but you can't say certain things. Else we're going to censor. So they're kind of in this weird stage where they have to choose, you know, because quite honestly, as someone say, if the product is free, then you are the product. And all these things are free. Twitter, Facebook, you know, Parler, and all these things are free. So who's the product? You. That's why they do all these things to sell you information. So therefore... What do we do? Again, as I said, there's going to be a bottleneck someplace because at the end of the day, you're going to get your internet service from somebody. And even if you live in a small town, you may have a small internet provider. But ultimately, they loop onto Verizon network or they loop onto Cogent network because everybody can't run wires all around the country or lay fiber optic on the floor of the sea. So you're going to come back to some company that has the power. What's your opinion on that, Sam? Yeah, you know, I can see why people would think about going with the idea of turning Facebook and Twitter into utilities. I really don't like that idea. It may turn out that that's necessary. I really don't like the idea. I like the idea of different companies having rules as to what they allow on their websites. Perhaps, and I'm thinking about this, at least in times past, I think it would have been better if we had maybe some kind of a law 
where we looked at these public or quasi-public forums, if we had some kind of a rule where they would have certain terms or certain agreements for their users. And when the users would sign these agreements, it would kind of be binding for some period of time or something. I don't know. One of the problems that we see here is Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, a lot of these big tech companies, they would have certain terms that people would sign on to. And when we read the terms, they were mostly okay, you know. But then as years go by while we're using the platform, they keep changing the terms. And many of us don't like the terms anymore, you know. I kind of think that maybe there should be some regulation as to how often those terms can change. Again, I don't really like this whole idea of regulation. Honestly, personally, I feel like it starts to... I kind of feel like it starts to affect the rights of the company, right, that owns these websites. But I don't know. That's a very tough one. One of the things I do like potentially looking at is we already have other sorts of laws already written, things like antitrust laws and whatnot. And if we could find a way to prove that there's a trust, right, that meaning where a user purchases one product or, yeah, they may purchase one product, but for it to be of any use, they have to be tied into a whole bunch of other products, you know, and there have been all sorts of laws passed against things like that. That's one of the reasons why they were able to break up, I want to say, Ma Bell. I forget the traditional name for Ma Bell, but the big phone company, Bell South, maybe that was the name. They broke it up into many much smaller companies, and they did that because they found that there was kind of a monopoly, if you will, a trust going on. So they used antitrust laws to break that up. And so you might be able to break up this Facebook monopoly. One of the things, okay, Facebook, Twitter, one of the arguments that I was making earlier to people, let's not, you know, regulate Facebook too much because we can always create our own, right? Then we found out that maybe we can't create our own because they came out with Parler. Actually, Parler had been around for a long time, but it became more popular as we saw that Twitter was being increasingly restrictive and Facebook too. But when we started to use Parler more, then they decided to take Parler down. So, and my understanding is that there is communication between Facebook, Twitter. First of all, I don't think we need any evidence of this. We should know that it's human nature. If you have some big boys playing together and then you have a smaller person who's about to take some of their turf, the big boys are going to squash the little guy and then continue with each other, right? But it's actually, there's information in the congressional record and in the, uh, what do you call it, the hearings that were had with these big tech giants where they discussed and the, the big tech giants couldn't deny, right, that they had ways of communicating with each other when they found smaller threats up and coming. And it seems like that's what they did with Parler, you know? I personally think that they got in touch with Google, who actually is involved in it too. They have YouTube which is a social media app. And then also you see Apple got involved and they took down Parler. So you had Google, you had Apple, and you had Amazon. They took down Parler. And so Google said, hey, we're not going to have Parler's app on our store anymore because they're not censoring, is what they said. And Apple said the same thing. We're not going to have them on our app store anymore because they're not censoring. Well, you can't install Parler on an Apple phone unless it be on the Apple Play Store, you know? 
you can install an app on your Google phone or on your Android phone if it's on the Android store. It's a lot harder, right? So again, they lose a lot of users. And but so a lot of people are like, okay, fine, we'll use a website. Well, then Amazon says, well, we're taking them off of our servers, right? So it's really hard to have any kind of a usable app out there without going through big tech. And we see that these different big tech companies look out for each other. So at least against a common enemy, if you will. Mm -hmm. So if big tech decides they want to enforce restrictions on people's speech, except we have some kind of regulation, it's starting to look like it is very difficult, if not very close to impossible, to stop it. We may still be able to stop it. We probably have to put our own resources together and start our own hosting service. And then we'd have to have our own way of installing our own software on our own phones. But obviously, that's a very huge hurdle to jump. It's very, very, very difficult to do that. We saw that again with, what's his name? I want to say, what was it? Mike Lindell's website, Frank Speech. Um, well, in that know. case, he said... Yeah, he set up his own website where people could post their own content and stuff. And I actually saw it before it got attacked hard, right? It actually looked like a pretty good site. I didn't read the content, but just looking at the quality, right, of what was on there. And I say quality, I'm looking at the quality of the, I'm a web developer. So I'm looking at like how the website was put together and some of the pictures and just the way the headlines and everything was arranged. For the most part, I thought it looked pretty decent and pretty promising. But my understanding is that they got hit with a bunch of DDoS attacks and, and other stuff. Now, where those attacks came from, I don't know. Was big tech involved in it? I don't know. But it does seem like, well, if Mike Lindell's site was on Amazon or one of those other big tech hosting services, the DDoS attacks probably wouldn't have been successful because they have much more resources to protect against such things. So it really does seem like if you want to get your voice out there, for the most part, the only real way to do it is through big tech. And if that's the case, then we have a monopoly or a trust, I should say. It's an oligarchy, in which case I think we can use antitrust laws to break them up. You're listening to the Room of Embarrass podcast. We are talking with Sam about cancel culture and free speech. We'll be right back. Crossflix is a family-friendly channel with thousands of Christian films, including Christian movies, new releases, documentaries, and educational content. You can access the videos through their digital streaming network anytime, day or night. Whenever you watch a Christian video from Crossflix, you can feel confident that your family is watching inspiring, uplifting content that is clean and curated. For a limited time, Crossflix is available for the first 30 days for free, and you can cancel anytime, no questions asked. That's right. Get access to thousands of free Christian movies and Christian music online right now with your 30-day trial. Click on the link in the description section of this podcast to get Crossflix today. So we've been talking for a while about who has the power to cancel? Should anyone have the power to cancel? What are the implications of being able to cancel? And that will inevitably lead us to ask if there is a difference between canceling and censoring. What do you think about that, Sam? Because it seems to me that 
if you have the power to cancel, that would also mean that you're censoring, but there might be nuances there that I'm not aware of. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, uh, wow. So when you say the power to cancel, I guess you're talking about at the corporate level. So like one corporation canceling an agreement or what do you mean by that, the power to cancel? I suppose in line of what we were talking about, how these big companies kind of colluded together to take down Parler, that would definitely be cancel culture. You might even say it's censorship because Parler is known for being a place where people on the right can actually speak freely and not have to worry about being canceled or censored by more left-leaning platforms like Twitter, Facebook, etc. So perhaps at the corporate level, but we could also talk about it at the interpersonal level as well, because cancel culture, if you're defriending someone or unfriending is the word unfriending someone, or if you're doxing someone, let's say that perhaps is a form of coercion or intimidation to silence the person to censor what they might be saying. That's what I'm thinking when I think of cancel culture and censorship. They all sound alike to me, but there might be nuances there that I'm not picking up on. Yeah, you know, so for me, I keep going back to cancel culture. I think of it as, at least from our perspective, we think of it as being something that's being employed by the left. But I think for me, more importantly, cancel culture, it seems to me that it's rather sporadic. It goes, okay, we're canceling this now. But even though our biggest icons were guilty of this just a few days before or a few years before, you know, so if there's consistency to it, then I'm not opposed to people. You know, everybody has their own right to make up their own mind and do their own thing as long as they're not hurting other people. <laughs> I guess that's the question. How do you know when they're hurting somebody else or not? Mm -hmm. Or when they're interfering in somebody else's right? So I like the idea, if you don't like what a company's doing and you don't want to buy from them anymore, Sure, go ahead. I don't mind that. Everybody should be able to choose what company they do business with or things like that. You know, you don't have to be my friend because we have a disagreement, right? You might be like, hey, look, I can't be friends with you anymore because I really don't like what you're doing here. That's fine. You know, find friends that do things that you agree with. For me personally, I'm less likely to do that, although I have because I've had friends. I'm not on Facebook anymore. I left them a long time ago, but I was on Facebook years ago. And I had one friend who he started out as I thought he was a great guy. But ultimately, he went off on some kind of a crazy lifestyle, very immoral. I guess I won't go into the details. But anyway, he was posting his immorality on Facebook, right? <laughs> and so because we were friends, it was posting up or popping up in my feed. And stuff like that. And I just didn't want to see it anymore. You know, very vulgar stuff. And so I did in the beginning, I would reach out to him. Hey, what's going on? He used to be as far as I knew, a really good guy. So I was trying to find out what's up with you? Why are you going this way? Stuff like that. But when I realized I couldn't help him, right. And instead of me helping him, there was more of a risk of him dragging me down, right. Then I had to defriend him. So didn't really want to, but the way it was, but again, that was not just some arbitrary decision, right? Or just because the flavor of the month is that I have to defriend my friend for this or defriend them for that. I wasn't even honestly offended or I didn't like hate him, right? I just didn't like what he was doing and I couldn't go along with that any further. So we parted for those reasons. But again, there's no animosity and it was very logical. You know, 
I don't have friends that are going to drag me down into immorality. Let's say I was friends with Donald Trump, right? Mm -hmm. If Donald Trump all of a sudden started to be like, hey, Sam, let's party, let's do something crazy, whatever, stuff like that, that was immoral, then we'd have to stop being friends, even though I might like Donald Trump a whole lot if he's going to drag me into that. And I'm not saying that he would. He was a party guy years ago, but I'm not saying that's what who he is today. But if I had somebody that I really, really liked, and they were like that, then I would have to, you know, part ways from them regretfully. But I feel like with cancel culture, you know, they will turn a blind eye to certain people that they really like. Or when they do cancel people, sometimes it seems to be with much glee, you know. So it's not like for logical reasons, but it seems to be much more of a, an emotional response to me. And I think that can be very dangerous when you let your heart control everything you do. You can really get into some really bad situations. Yeah, I definitely agree. I won't add much except to say one leads to another. So censorship leads to counterculture, counterculture leads to censorship. To me, is a different side of the same coin in a sense that you would not counsel someone before first censoring them, looking at what they're saying, trying to prevent them from saying it. But do you think the church will ever be subjugated to this cancel culture mob? What do you think about that, Jay? You know how they say some people are uncancelable because they just don't care whether they're canceled. They're going to say what they're going to say. And if you don't like it, well, tough. I want to say that the church should be like that, but I highly doubt that it is. I think the state of the church in America right now because we're so desirous, or not every single Christian, I'm just saying the church in general, we're so desirous of being accepted by the world. It's always been true in America, not always, but oftentimes it's been true in America that we're pandering to the world instead of leading them out of sin or, or calling out their sin. So because of that, I'm not entirely sure that the church can be uncancelable. As long as we care whether or not people like us or people agree with us or that people tolerate us, we're going to be subject to cancel culture. And I say that within the definition of being uncancelable. The church should be uncancelable. We shouldn't care what the world is saying. We shouldn't care that the sands of morality are shifting against us in terms of not in our favor, like the world is thinking something else about morality than what the Bible says. None of that should matter. We should be standing on the truth of God's word and proclaiming, thus saith the Lord. But because we care about what the world thinks, we are certainly going to be subject to cancel culture. Yeah, definitely. As you were speaking, I remember when we had Pastor Mike on the podcast back on, I think it was episode 18, when we talk about racial relations at the church. He said that church has always been struggling with culture. And today we see the same struggle with the church struggling with culture and something inside of me want to say why you know we have a bible we have a standard we can clearly go and say this is how we should live but at the end of the day some quote-unquote churches need that money and the people are the one who come to the church and give that money so the church constantly at least the unbiblical ones would struggle with culture but the bible believing ones shouldn't and as you say shouldn't care I think the church would see more of a strong hand of the counterculture if we didn't have the First Amendment. But also, with this COVID thing, we kind of see the government kind of try to put a heavy hand on the church, 
So we know the church can be canceled. Well, we certainly see that the church can be canceled to some degree in Canada, and we've been seeing that for the last about 30 years or so. And I would argue that the church is the primary target of cancel culture, honestly. And I am applying that cancel culture uh, definition to political correctness as well. You know, so when Canada passed their hate speech bill, one of the first groups after was the church. And even today, just when you look at cancel culture today, it seems to be being promoted primarily by Marxist, socialist, communists, right? Yep. These people, they hate religion and specifically the church. And so, yeah, when it comes to cancel culture, I think the church is the primary target. And I think that we have to be very careful because we're the target. It's a lot harder for them to get us in America where we have the First Amendment. And yeah, and then also the whole concept of separation of church and state, which, by the way, was meant to protect the church from a strong government, not to protect the government from the church. If I remember correctly, the separation of church and state that was talked about, it's not even in the Constitution, by the way, not by those words, but it was talked about in letters between our founding fathers and I want to say some Baptist preachers who were worried about the government trying to tell the Baptist preachers how they could have their church. And they're like, don't worry, we believe in, or it's one of them, Thomas Jefferson, and I think maybe a few other founding fathers were telling them that they believe in, in the separation of church and state, meaning that the church would be protected from the state. Anyway, I think that it's harder, you know, for cancel culture to get the church in America, but I believe that the church is the target and that they are pretty close to getting us. Honestly, we have to be very vigilant. Yeah. And the worst thing is, I think, you know, while they may not have gotten us legally, I think they have gotten us in many ways in our own mind. We don't say certain things because we're worried that we'll offend people, even though the Bible clearly states, you know, what's right and what's wrong. So I even had a friend at PCC, good guy, I liked him and all, but he came from California. And he thought that homosexuality was wrong, which the Bible makes very clear in the Old and New Testament. And he was wrestling with how he should or shouldn't express those feelings. He said he didn't want to say anything against homosexuality because he didn't want to come across as a racist. (laughs) Which is like, are you serious? But I guess, like, being against immorality somehow got, especially homosexuality, somehow. It's been equated with hate speech and hate speech being equated with racism. And so apparently from where he grew up in California, all of that was just racist. It's not very logical, but it comes from that whole political correctness and cancel culture, you know, and it's already affecting him. He's a Christian, right? And he goes to church just like you and I do. And it's just kind of crazy to me. And this is a conversation he and I had a few years ago, and he was living in California at the time. Now I'm having conversations like that with people, you know, just next door or a few doors down. And it's just like, wow, you got to be kidding me. What's happened to our sense of logic? Why is the church even worried about, you know, speaking what God's word says? It's not that we're hating people. You know, we really want what's best for them. Right. So but somehow we're afraid to say things because we're afraid people will be offended. And so, yeah, we're being silent by this whole political correctness and cancel culture. 
even without legal restraint. What do you mean, Sam, when you said we should be careful? Do you mean, as the church, the church should be careful because of the cancel culture? Do you mean that the church should be careful about how they say, thus saith the Lord? Or are you saying that we need to be vigilant and stand up against it? I'm saying we should be careful and be aware of these threats to the freedom of the church to say what God has for us to say, you know? Gotcha. So, yeah, the threat is already upon us, and I feel like most of us haven't, or at least a good portion of us, haven't even recognized it. Do you think that the Bible can be subjugated to cancel culture the way that you believe the church is right now? Well, they kind of go hand in hand. If the church is being subjugated to cancel culture, that by extension means the Bible would be as well. And I think, as Sam is saying, it already is. It's not something that is going to happen something that is happening. You know, even at my workplace, I've been to two different workplaces now that they will have a room where someone can go and pray. But it's normally set up more so to be conducive to a Muslim than to a Christian. They don't prevent anybody from going there and pray. But I'm just saying the way it is set up, it seems like it was meant that a Muslim is going to come in here and pray and not necessarily a Christian because most of the time there's no table in there. It's just a small closet. And of course, the Muslim have what they call their prayer rug of sort. Right, mm-hmm. that they put down. So I'm just simply saying, you know, yeah, the Bible's already been subject to cancer culture more so than any other religion or any other holy book. I know I always make it a habit one the days when you used to go into office, for how long ago that was, I always make it a habit to have my Bible on my desk because I want to have that visual representation that I stand for something. Hmm. You know, the Bible could be the aim of cancel culture attacks, but I don't think it's cancelable. I think we have a historical record of people trying to undermine or subdue or shut up the Bible. And it always springs up somewhere. It always springs a leak somewhere. It can't be kept under a bushel. There's a phrase out there, come at me, bro. I mean, you could try to cancel the scriptures. You could try and put it under a bushel. But the Bible promises there's always a remnant. There are always Christians who will stand up and speak the truth. The Bible says that even if we were to shut up and not say anything, the rocks will speak out. You can't cancel something like the scriptures and they're going to come after it. They're going to try. The gates of hell, however, will not prevail against the Bible. It will not prevail against God's church. And so I think perhaps Christians ought to look at what's happening in the world and realize that this is war. It's a cold war right now in terms of practical, tactical, whatever right now. Spiritually, though, this war is hot and it's been for quite some time. And if Christians are unaware, or if they're apathetic or lethargic toward these things, now would be a good time to wake up. And I say this not like pointing a finger at anyone. I'm saying this like for all of us, we need to settle in our minds and in our hearts what we're going to do and what we're going to stand for. Because critical race theory, cancel culture, intersectionality, wokeness, it's already infiltrated the church. There are many churches and whole Christian organizations that have adopted this stuff and have been actively 
calling out and undermining those Christians and those organizations that stand against that ideology. So the attack is not even coming from people on the outside, as it were. This is coming from people you thought were your own brethren are beating you over the head with intersectionality and woke theology and all of these different things. And so cancel culture obviously is a part and parcel of that. And Christians just ought to be prepared, be prepared to be flabbergasted or don't be surprised, I should say, when someone that you thought was your brother in Christ professing to be a brother in Christ is all of a sudden jumping on your back because you're speaking, thus saith the Lord, to a transgender person or you're not an ally to the LGBTQIA agenda or you're not ceding your speech or your faith to the dictates of what Jordan Peterson calls the tyrannical left. And I'm quoting him not because he's Christian, but because he just was able to put it so succinctly. Is Jordan Peterson a Christian? He's not. When I hear him speak, he's not. However, he has a foot in the atheistic scientific world and a foot in the religious mythological world. He would call himself a Christian. He has a foot in each world, but we know that those that have one foot in, one foot out aren't genuine Christians. He has a lot of insight when he talks about the different narratives and the different stories, not stories, histories found in the scriptures, but he himself personally is not Christian. I say that because when you ask him about the resurrection, he is very upfront and honest about the struggle he's having right now to believe it. However, he realizes the fact that this nation has a Judeo-Christian underpinning, and he realizes that the tyrannical left, leftist ideology, Marxism, all those different things serve to undermine that. He's staunchly and consistently fighting against that, but I wouldn't say that he's Christian. I've said this to MCG quite often. It's great to listen to Jordan Peterson. I enjoy listening to Jordan Peterson, but the danger in listening to someone like Jordan Peterson is how he can draw Bible-believing Christians away into a morality in which Christ is not the center. So, no, he's not a Christian, although he would call himself to be one. That's interesting. I didn't even know that he identified as such. I had heard that more recently he had been struggling back and forth with whether Jesus was a real person or not. Yes. Uh, Well, and if all of the events in the Bible about Jesus were correct. Yes, he has been struggling with that. In fact, recently he had a podcast with someone where he literally broke down in tears because he realizes that in Christ, the way that he would phrase it, in Christ, the divine has met with the human or earthbound in Christ, which we obviously would say that that's true, but it blows his mind that that could even be possible and he doesn't know what to make of it. He says that if you were to ask him, does he believe in God, it's such a problem for him because to say that you believe in God would ultimately mean that you would have to acknowledge that truth about Christ. And he can't, at least in this point in time, he can't bring himself to quite do that because he's wrestling with it and he doesn't understand it. Isn't that why the Bible says that he that doesn't receive me as a little child will not come in? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of folks think that the Bible is literally talking about a kid but you have to have a childlike faith. Mm-hmm. And Jordan Peterson being so intelligent is a riches of intelligence. And it's the Bible a stumbling say, block. And the Bible says how hard it is for a rich man to come to heaven. Jordan Peterson's stumbling block is not necessarily wealth, but is the riches of knowledge. He's a very smart guy. And if he cannot pin them together, he doesn't believe. But that's where the Bible called faith. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And if Jordan Peterson cannot explain it scientifically, 
or psychologically, then he struggled believing it. I think that's his problem. But getting back to what we were talking about here, though, let's bring it home, Sam. What does cancer culture seek to accomplish in your mind? I think it depends on the practitioner. I think you have two primary parties that practice cancel culture. Many of them feel like there is injustices happening and they're trying to remedy these injustices by canceling the people that they think are the source of the injustice. You know, I think that's what many people feel. But I also think that there's a much more sinister group of people behind cancel culture that are trying to use it to bring about an anti-Christian totalitarian end, if you will. And I think they want to bring it. Now, this sounds like conspiracy theory. I think they want to bring it to the whole world, honestly. And I think it does come out of Marxism. I think it comes out of communism. And I think it ultimately, while it may not be successful this go round, although maybe it might be, I think it is going to be a tool used to ultimately bring about a one world government. You know, I can't say that's how it's going to happen, but we do know that there will be a one world government when we look at the Bible and we look at the Antichrist and the system that he'll bring into power, you know, where no man can buy or sell except he have the mark. You're going to need a totalitarian type government to do that. And so while people may say, oh, you're just being a conspiracy theorist, that's some all sorts of crazy talk. When we look at what the Bible says will happen, and when we look at what's going on right now, I think that if you look at it with a reasonable mind, it's hard not to see what the possibilities are here. You know, And so, yeah, I think cancel culture is a, a tool to help bring about a totalitarian. We've already seen it, right? We've already seen it in China. We've already seen it in Russia. There, political correctness, similar to cancel culture, used to establish some of the most cruel totalitarian governments that we've known in modern history. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, now we have cancel culture across the world. We see it in America. We see it in Canada. It's in Mexico. We see it in South America. You can see it in Europe. It's really strong in Europe, believe it or not. I'm into motorsports in Europe. I watch a lot of that. And they talk about it a lot, the people involved in the motorsports out there. And so it's all over the place. It's already in Russia and it's already in China. That's most of the world, you know. Anyway, yeah, I think it's dangerous. And I think that one of the groups behind it is trying to bring about world government. That's what I think it ultimately boils down to. And a world government that is opposed to Christ. Yeah, I would definitely agree. If I should put it in one word, it would be this. It's submission. They're trying to bring everybody under one submission or one authority. Trying to create some sort of utopia. A society that is controlled by a few and bring everybody under one authority. So when I think about submission, I also have to think about the fact that the Bible commanded us to be, as Christians, to be submitted to Christ. The Bible also commanded us to be submitted to each other. You think about Ephesians 5 and verse 21, submitting yourself one to another in the fear of God. Then you think of Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11, say, Wherefore, God also had highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when I think about that, I can't help to but to appeal to the listener and say, 
Hey, you can either submit to Christ today as Lord, or you're going to have to face him later as judge. You know, you might decide, hey, I'm going to be careful with what I say. I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be politically correct. I'm going to do all these things so I don't have to be forced on the submission of the counterculture mob. But one day you have a judge that's coming back. And you can face him either as a judge then or you can submit to him and face him as Lord. You know, and how do you submit to him? How do you actually come to the point where you're submitted to Christ? Well, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 that we should repent. Repent ye therefore and what? And be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. When you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ, finish work upon the cross. You can be saved. Of course, the Bible says that if we should confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And you will never come to the point, firstly, to repent of your sin until you realize the bare fact that you are a sinner and you're in need of a savior. And if you come to a point where you realize you're a sinner, in need of a savior that's the beginning of submission to christ and once you confess him as lord and repent of your sin and trust christ as your savior you'll be saved our plea for you is that you may trust him and be saved today sam thank you for joining us on the removing barriers podcast mcg jay it's been a pleasure great thank you for listening to get a hold of us or to support this podcast Go to anchor.fm forward slash removing barriers. This has been the Removing Barriers podcast. We attempted to remove barriers so that we all can have a clear view of the cross.